listening to Best Served Cold, a Born Millennials podcast. The Australian true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Formerly Egypt's 36th most popular true crime podcast, hosted by Tama J and Laura Lease. Sit down, relax, grab a drink and enjoy this week's episode. Oh my goodness. Hey, yo. Another week, another episode. Welcome back, guys, to the best ep- best podcast in, the, in world. the world, rated by you guys. I mean... Yeah, that's definitely... Can't believe we've made it this far. I know. I can't believe we finally made it to the number one podcast in the whole world. Two years world. in and we're just... We're, it's just an honor, guys. We've, we've like, topped the Joe Rogan pod experience. Yeah. Joe Rogan is just in our dust. Which, like, he hasn't done himself any favors anyway, so we've just sort of overtaken yeah. him really uh, easily. My favorite murder, who? Yep. Yeah. Who, um, are they? who are they again? We're just kidding. We're not even remotely at their level. Speak for yourself. But anyway, welcome back to another week of Best Served Cold, the true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. I'm one of your amazing co-hosts, Laura Elise, and I am just a material girl. Nice. And I am your other co-host, Tama Tsu, and I really wish we weren't living through our seventh uh, historical event right now. historical event, yeah. That'd be great. That'd um, be fantastic. Yeah, so we'll talk about that at the end. Yeah. Uh, just a few little housekeeping before we get straight into it. Uh, we do like to warn people at the beginning of the episode that we do tend to swear a fair amount in the show. So if you are new here and you don't like the cuss words, we would kindly ask you to exit through the gift shop. Feel free to buy a souvenir, but please don't leave us a one-star review. You have been warned. You have. You can't say you weren't. It's here in recorded evidence. And if you do, then you're a silly goose. We've gotten a lot nicer about these, and we were really mean about people. Now yeah, look, we've we've graduated from telling you just to fuck off to being, yeah, you know, enjoy yourself, yeah, have a good time, but stop. Yeah, please, please stop. Just stop. Uh, second housekeeping: if you would like to follow us on social media, you can find us at the BSC Podcast. I'm not gonna lie, we're not really posting on any of those things at the minute, but we will be resuming our normal posting schedule very shortly so go and follow us to keep up to date with all of the comings and goings and also thank you to everyone who kindly voted in our i put up a little instagram poll uh, as to what you guys would like to see from the show in terms of on the show and on the social media moving forward in season three wow wow three so we have noted all of that down and we are trying to figure out the logistics of how to actually do some of those things particularly some people said they would really like to see recorded uh like video episodes of us doing this uh that is it's a tricky one yeah tricky one to pull off in terms of syncing up the audio and everything but we're working on it well it's more so just also the format like we we read notes that's kind of the podcast and like it's kind of just not a very interesting visual thing, I, but I, I mean, who knows? It might it might work but out. Maybe really it would well. force us to perform. Yeah, and we are, if not actors. Yeah, exactly. What are we? Uh, but yeah, that's kind of all my housekeeping for the week. Uh, I forgot to do all of it last week, so yes. I'm very proud of myself. Fantastic. Um, and we also have some other exciting things coming up that I can't really talk about just yet. Yeah, but I should be able to tell you. In the coming weeks. It's exclusive so stuff. You guys aren't invited just yet. The Facebook Day event is tuned. not out yet. Uh, it is my turn. Yeah, this your week. turn to go So we're first. just going to jump right into the cases. 
So this week I am talking about a woman called Alini Mendez. So she was born in Brazil in the year of 1979. She was the eldest of her four siblings in a relatively poor family growing up in Brazil. And her father basically worked around the clock. clock um, oh my goodness. We're getting really... <laughs> that was a bit of a slip of the tongue. Um, she worked not around not around the clock. He worked around the clock. Um, so, she was basically responsible for helping out her mother with looking after the household. This was pushed further due to her father's frequent alcohol abuse, which even led to him taking out her mother um, to drink every now and then. So, this quite often left... Um, Alini to basically be the matriarch of the family, uh, look after the siblings and and whatnot. At the age of 22 years old, Alini was working at a clothing store and still helping to support her family. It was here at 2001 where she would meet a man named Ricardo Godino, who was a 24-year-old man working at the same store as a delivery person. The two would often meet up after work and after two years, they eventually started a relationship together in 2003. Together, the two worked to get out of the Brazilian lifestyle to set themselves up and potentially have a family. So, when sorting through their options, they kind of just chose a, a few different options they had. They learned that Ricardo actually could apply for an Italian passport due to some lineage he came from. He actually had someone in his family who had a residency in Italy. So, through there, they could move to Europe and basically just align a light to anywhere in Europe. So they eventually, with the hopes set for England, decided to move to London. So after a few months, um, you know, with some help, Ricardo forged a marriage certificate to allow for Alini to migrate with him to Europe. So a few months later, they had settled into London, Alini going by her fake marriage name of Godino. And that's what she was kind of just known as, Alini Godino, just not so much her maiden name anymore. It was They posed as a married couple. Yeah. So, Amy, Alini found work in a hostel in the central area of London, a job that she was very fond of because she would meet and help out various people from around the world. And it was at this job that she would meet fellow Brazilian Vanessa. The two became uh, very close, obviously both being from Brazil, and um, they eventually became best friends. Four years later, Alini decided to start her own business with the help of Ricardo and Vanessa. Now, her business was going to be baking Brazilian cakes in London, specializing in birthday cakes due to the general demand of that in the area. Not too long after starting the business, the couple would have their first child and this was a huge milestone for her. Being a mother and obviously coming from a family where she was the general matriarch, it's a big thing for her and she was a very motherly caring person. So having a child was a huge milestone for mm -hmm. her. Unfortunately, though, the child was born severely unwell with a few different health conditions and concerns. So, their priority was to get their child the health that they can. However, this was a tricky situation for them due to their marriage being forged. So, their citizenship could have been entirely in question if they sort of you know, start to yeah. go to hospitals and get in the medical attention you need, psychiatrist, whatever it is that you need. So prioritizing their son's health, they moved back to Brazil. So later in uh, 2008, that's when they decided to actually move back to Brazil and 
Alini and Ricardo end up spending actually several years back in Brazil, welcoming two more sons into their family during this time. So things were going really well for Alini. She was a mother of three and it seemed like everything was working out really well for him. The move back to Brazil was great. She's a, a mother of three. Fantastic time for her. Ricardo, on the other hand, was not having a great time as um, just a bit of a polarizing side of the relationship. So coming back to Brazil, Ricardo developed a pretty severe drug addiction, which then, of course, led to friction within their relationship with Alini. Ricardo being uh, began treating Alini in a remarkably different manner, basically decided to... Um, these drugs were basically just controlling his personality and withdrawals and, and whatnot. And she decided to just sort of push through it for the sake of their, you know, family and their relationship. And eventually, Ricardo would eventually um, start a pattern of abuse towards Alini without, with it proving a bit too much for her uh, at some point. Eventually, Alini would split up with Ricardo. This, however, was short-lived as soon after the two would get back together on the, co on the condition that Ricardo would agree to a fresh start in London. Now, obviously, you know, this was a, a good idea, but Ricardo would struggle with this fresh start idea. However, Alini persevered through, through the um, issues for the sake of the children again and just wanted them to be a safe, a happy family. So the whole family moved back to England in 2014. Uh, this is six years after leaving in 2008. Coming back to England, um, the two struggled to find work. It was a very difficult situation for them. All the while, Ricardo was continuing his drug habit and his pattern of abuse wasn't going away towards Alini. So with the move back causing a f some issues, Alini's good friend Vanessa, along with their husband, offered the family to move in with them while they're all set up to look, to look after themselves. Mm -hmm. So basically for the next three years, it's a family of five living with their two other Brazilian friends. From the outside perspective, this family seemed relatively normal. They even welcomed a new child into the family, a daughter, the first daughter of the family. So one big, one big house, you had Alini, Ricardo, their four children, and Vanessa and her husband. Ultimately, one night in 2018, Vanessa and her husband would wake up one night to screaming coming from Alini. Upon uh, entering the living room, the couple found Alini curled up on the couch with Ricardo standing a few feet away from her. Alini claimed that her and Ricardo were arguing and suddenly, during the argument... Ricardo jumped on top of her and started strangling her. Jesus. At this stage, Ricardo was going through um, drug treatment. And while this was happening, this was happening, sorry, while the two were in this argument. So Alini would threaten to leave every now and then. And when this would happen, Ricardo would start to get physically violent with her. All the while was going through his drug treatment. Now, I don't know if you know much about drug treatments, but they're fucking brutal. I can. Im I don't know anything about drug, but I can imagine severe, like withdrawals, total cutoffs. It's a. It's a fucking. It's a. Depending on how you go about it, depending on what sort of therapy you go through, mm. terrible situation to go through. Alina decided that enough was enough and began planning an exit route that was both safe for her and her children. It was just wasn't working out for her, and Ricardo didn't seem to be on the straight and narrow. So it was time. 
So since their arrival back in the UK, Ricardo actually started his own construction business. With the business growing somewhat successful, Ricardo found that he needed help with the accounting side of his business. So Alini stood up and took care of their businesses, business finances. So this became the family's main source of income and this further made the eventual separation somewhat tricky to pull off, as mm. you can imagine. On one such occasion, while looking over his accounts, Ricardo came across what he believed to be money seemingly missing or just undeclared. He immediately accuses Eleni of stealing from him as he has an inkling that she wants to leave him. And in reality, Ricardo is just a fucking idiot and messed up the accounting. Mm -hmm. So absolutely no money stolen whatsoever. On top of the abuse, Ricardo, knowing that Alini wanted to leave him, he was a massive manipulator. He would attempt to make her jealous by acting as if he had another woman in his life. However, Alini's response was to simply tell him, well then, hurry up with the divorce mm. so we can fucking move past this. In Christmas of 2018, Vanessa and her husband, Henrique, had returned back to Brazil to be with their family for the holiday. This left Alini, Ricardo, and their family all alone together in the big house and essentially gave Ricardo free reign to verbally and emotionally abuse Alini without anyone around to witness it. Things got so bad that Alini would go so far as to lock herself in a room just to get away from him, sometimes for up to 24 hours. She had to call friends over just to safely leave the room to feed her children. Jesus. Yeah, it's a fucked up situation. Ricardo obviously didn't want Alini to leave, whether it was for pride, ego, or it was a power trip. He just seemed to love having this power over yeah. her, as you can imagine, um, is the case with sort of, of uh, relationships, abusive relationships like this. Whatever the reasons were, however, he did everything in his power to keep her from taking the children and leaving. He did this by destroying the children's passports and he did this in front of Alini and he even threatened to go and report their marriage certificate as false to mm. further cause troubles for Alini and her children. A few days after Christmas on the 27th of August, 2018, Alini actually went to the police to report that she fears for her life and the safety of her children. Fortunately, the police provided Alini with a safe house to get away from Ricardo and her friends created a WhatsApp group chat to provide support to Alini through this sort of tough period. Yeah. So for the first time in literally years, Alini was safe. She felt safe and secure and her children were going to be fine. So suddenly left with an empty house full of family belongings, Ricardo finds an old SIM card that belongs to Alini. Along with the SIM card, he actually gains access to not only Alini's old text messages, but her current ones and ongoing mm. text messages. So through this, he finds the WhatsApp group chat and he suddenly now knew exactly where she was what she was doing and what she was planning. Perhaps worst of all, he knew where she was at all times using iCloud to track her iPhone. Having found Alini's safe house, he attempts to break in not once but twice, having been arrested both times. Now, with these arrests, Child, Protect Child Protective Services would step in, leaving Ricardo only allowed to see his children under very strict supervised circumstances. So... Where we are now, Ricardo has absolutely no power over Alini anymore. Mm -hmm. In fact, she holds 
all the power. Yeah, which would drive him Exactly. Crazy. We're dealing with a sociopath, someone who thrives on having power, control in their lives, and for years has had control over this person that he's mm. in a relationship with. Suddenly, no power, no one to vent his implications onto, no children, nothing, all alone. This is what I would describe as the potentially triggering moment for him yeah. and a sudden sort of change in uh, mentality or uh, cognition. Ricardo making would uh, begin making threats upon Alini's life and as a result, um, as a result of this, and however, instead of taking these messages to the police, Alini opts to avoid all conflict and just keep the police out of it. Now, this might seem a bit silly to you, but she was a very sweet, kind of innocent person. Mm. She just hated conflict of all kinds, didn't like to get in fights with anybody. She was a very loving person and just wanted to sort of avoid all of this. Uh, now, whether it was because she thought it would keep her safe from Ricardo because they he wouldn't do anything to harm her in front of her, their, their children or it was just through her genuine love for her children. Alini began taking her daughter with her everywhere she went. Mm-hmm. So every weekday, she would travel from her safe house in London to Epsom to take her boys to school. On one such occasion, on the 8th of February, 2019, she was taking her boys to school. Having dropped them off, she began making her way back home. And at the same time, Ricardo had begun making his way from his house to start his work day. His day took him to two separate suburbs in um, in London. And before eventually he would uh, refuel his black pickup truck at a petrol station. All was caught on CCTV footage. In the afternoon, Alini was on her way back to Epsom to pick her boys up. Along with her, of course, was her three-year-old daughter. At 2.38 p.m., they boarded their usual bus they caught in Epsom. Seven minutes later, they exit the bus onto the street. Now, as the bus is taking off from the stop, the security cameras on the actual bus itself, which show not only um, one, the driver's side of the bus, Mm -hmm. but the entrance and exit of the passenger side of the bus, they pick up a black pickup truck pulling out of a side road on the driver's side. On the other side, on the passenger side, the camera picks up the same black pickup truck mounting the curb onto the street right in front of Alini and a few other mothers. Now, obviously, this is Ricardo driving the pickup truck. Yeah. Ricardo exits the pickup truck and it is evident that he is wielding a large knife that he brought with him from home. Ricardo approaches Alini with what this witnesses describe as an extremely calm and emotionless face. Alini cries out and I assume attempts to protect her child in any way she can, but Alini is suddenly attacked by Ricardo. Ricardo stabs her a number of seven times within 17 seconds. Afterwards, Ricardo drops a knife, gets into his truck and drives away. The mothers who witnessed the attack happen call from the ambulance and a police. One mother by the name of Tony Miller, who by the way is a fucking hero, pulls Alini's daughter's away, daughter away to safety. She attempted to keep her daughter from seeing what just happened, but unfortunately, the daughter witnessed the entire thing. Alini was pronounced dead on arrival. Following the attack, Ricardo called up several of his own friends and employees, confessing to them that he had just stabbed his wife. 
An hour and a half later, after the attack, police pulled Ricardo over, arrested him. He was later charged with first-degree murder and an additional charge of possession of an offensive weapon in a public place. Now, the trial against Ricardo began on the 1st of July 2019 at the Guildford Crown Court where Ricardo would deny all accusations of abuse and would go so far as to say that he had no idea what he was doing when he murdered Alini, claiming he was stressed at the time. Oh, yeah. Sick, dude. Yeah. So, according to him, he had no intention of killing Alini. He simply grew so stressed and aggravated from not being able to see his children. And as a result, he asked to be charged for manslaughter over the first-degree charge. Witnesses to the murder and people Ricardo caught up after he committed the murder all came forward against Ricardo and ultimately Ricardo was found guilty unanimously of murder in the first degree and on the 18th of July 2019 he was sentenced to life in prison with the minimum uh, parole period of 24 years before he can actually apply for parole and unfortunately that's where the story ends Um, the unfortunate death of Alini and now her four children have to grow without up without a mother, mother and a father in jail who's unfortunately done this to their mother. Yeah. It's yeah. Kind of, it's, yeah, it's really kind of horrifying how many of these stories there are. Yeah, it's, um, y- you often hear about the, the typical stereotype that it's always the husband kind of thing. Mm. Um, and that might be the case for like, you know, someone goes missing something happens and it's like okay the first person you look at is the partner just because yeah then there's cases like this where it's so you know they don't even try to hide it they just aggravated attack but the thing that stood out to me was his demeanor it wasn't a just like yes yeah and i implore you to look up this case and actually look at the photos of ricardo he has that just that look of someone who's just fucking mentally unhinged. Yeah. And you t- you toss in drug abuse and obviously um, psychological issues yeah. as well. That's just a, a recipe for disaster. Um, I can 100% picture his face. It is terrifying. Do I want to Google it? Sure. Go for it. Yeah. It, it's, 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 he's a very, um, not a scary looking person, but you kind of look at him and you you think evil when you kind of look at it. I don't know how to describe it. You know, I don't necessarily believe in like the whole system of good and evil, whatever. But that, to me, that face is just like, there's something about it. There's, there's not a, a human isn't really behind that, if that makes sense. Trying yeah. To find it. Yeah. No. Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You you see what I mean? It's just it's something about it that's just very off-putting. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, I can see you, that. You put him in like a, a one of those like rows of potential convict or potential suspects. You look yeah. at him. You go, yeah, that's a, that's yeah, the bro, fucking person. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know what he did. I don't know what the charge is. He did it. That wow. guy did it. That was horrible. Yeah. Terrible. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> We're gonna take a wee little short, a wee break, little break. Uh, top up our drinks. Take yes. this time if you're listening at home to go to the loo. Yeah. If you are driving in your car, maybe don't crash. Don't. 
go to the loo, maybe hold it and wait till you get to a petrol station. Or do. You know, you might be driving rural and if you, you have, have a bottle. Options. Yeah. Uh, what else? And if, if you're wa- walking to work, you know, maybe like have a little sit down, have a little breather. If you are commuting to work, stare out the window for 30 seconds and pretend you're the main character in a movie. And that's all the, that's, the scenarios kind of that you, now, I can yeah. think of. That's... Anyway, we'll be back. All right. <laughs> Fuck me. And welcome back. Welcome, welcome back to the show. The show's beginning again, so... What have you got for us today, Laura? Well, I'm doing a little trigger warning at the start here. Um, Not for all the horrible things that you've all just come to expect in these shows. Of course. But it is an unsolved one. I like to give a little trigger warning at the start because we know we all, some people, it really, really some people hate them. Yeah, I don't like them. Some people really hate unsolved mysteries. So I like to just tell people from the start, there is no ending to this one. You know what? Sorry, just I fucking hate when there is one, but they don't say it's unsolved. And then it's just, actually, things aren't, you're like, oh, great. That's awesome. So I like to, I don't want to edge people. Like, I'm not about that. Just going to trip myself over on purpose today. Yeah. So just, you know, right from the get-go, it's unsolved. So I will be talking about the murder of someone who arguably has one of the coolest names I've ever heard, Artemis Ogletree. Oh. Or the mystery of room 1046. Ooh, saucy. So on January 2nd, 1935, a man called Roland T. Owen checks into the Hotel President in Kansas City. Witnesses say that the man was kind of nondescript, aged between what they thought was 20 and 35. He had brown hair with a scar on his scalp as well as cauliflower ears, which if you don't know what cauliflower ears are, they're essentially like, it's kind of hard to describe, but your ear just kind of looks like a cauliflower and it's usually something that people who fight and Mm -hmm. get punched in the ears a lot. Develop. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it leads hotel staff to think that he's a fighter or that he's involved in some rough crowds, but he's noted as being nicely dressed. He doesn't look like he comes from a rough area, but the staff do note, however, that the man carries no bags with, with him, which they find a bit odd for an overnight stay. So the man asks for a room on a higher floor overlooking the internal courtyard of the hotel rather than a street-facing room. And he's booked into room 1046. The bellhop who takes the man to his room is Randolph Propst, and he says that on the way the man speaks about his recent stay at another nearby hotel and complains about their what he called exorbitant rates. So he shows the man to his room and he watches as from his pocket he takes out the only possessions he has on him, a hairbrush, a comb and a toothbrush. He then leaves the room with the bellboy and the bellboy, they go down in the elevator together and he watches him leave the hotel. Shortly after this happens, one of the hotel maids clocks on for her afternoon shift and enters the man's room thinking that it's empty. She finds him alone, sitting inside in the dark on his bed with all the curtains drawn and just did sort of like one lamp very dimly lit. Interesting. She kind of apologizes and goes to leave the room, but the man says it's fine. And so she cleans the space kind of around him and they just 
general chit chat. As she tidies the room, he begins to, he gets up, he begins to brush his hair, puts his coat back on and gets ready to leave. While the maid is still in the process of cleaning, he leaves requesting that she don't lock the door behind her when she leaves as he's expecting friends. So this is like an old school hotel, obviously the doors don't lock automatically. So he's like, leave it open, my friend's coming. So she doesn't really kind of think anything of it. She leaves and returns not too long after that with fresh towels Again, thinking that he's left Mm -hmm. to find the man back in the room again, alone, sitting in the dark, fully dressed. Later, the maid would tell police that she spotted a note on the bedside table reading, Don, I will be back in 15 minutes. Wait. So the next morning, the same maid returns to the room, finding the door locked. So again, she assumes the do not disturb is not on the doorknob. So she assumes the man's left. And so she uses a little key and she goes in to do her morning clean and again finds him sitting in the dark in the same place he was the night before fully dressed and she says that he appears really kind of like jumpy and on edge and frightened and like not quite normal interesting as she enters the room the phone on the bedside table rings and the man answers the phone and then simply says no don i don't want to eat i'm not hungry i just had breakfast and then he hangs up the phone again she starts cleaning kind of around him while he's just chilling out on the bed they chat while she cleans and then she leaves And then again, like the day before, she returns in the afternoon to bring fresh towels to the room, uh, knowing that she's taken all the dirty ones away, so there's no towels in the room. And as she nears the room, she can hear two people arguing from inside. Uh, She kind of knocks on the door and she's like, hey, I'm here with your towels. And uh, a voice that she said does not belong to the man she spoke to before yells out that they don't need any towels and tells her to go away. She's like... Okay, that's, right, that's kind of uh, You definitely do need towels because I, I took them all, but uh-huh. cool. That same night, multiple guests reported hearing loads of voices as well as what seemed like a large party on the 10th floor, although speculations as to what actual room this was coming from have kind of been raised. So some people said it was the room where all this happened. Some people said it was unrelated and it was another room, but it's worth mentioning. So that same night at around 11 p.m., a man called Robert Lane, who was a city driver, is just driving around, doing his thing, and he gets flagged down by a man running out from the side pathway into the road. He's only wearing an undershirt, pants and shoes, and he runs onto the road and tries to flag this car down. When Robert slows down, he notices that the man appears disheveled and has a deep cut on his arm, and despite the incredibly cold winter temperatures, is not wearing a coat, just wearing like a very light shirt and pants. The man that flags him down apologises, says he thought he was a taxi, but he's like, do you think you could give me a lift to somewhere that I could get a taxi from? And Robert agrees and the man gets in. When Robert casually points out that he seems like he's kind of had a rough night, the man responds that he would kill someone else tomorrow. Robert drops him at a taxi rank and goes on his way, doesn't really think twice about it. Okay. January 4th, the switchboard operators that works at the hotel, so obviously this is the... 30s there are no automatic phones you need someone to physically like move the cord from one hole to the other uh she logs onto her shift logs on she starts her shift and Della <laughs> Ferguson starts her day with a wake-up call for room 1046 however when she goes to make the call she notices that the phone is off the hook so their little switchboard thing like has a light that indicates when the phone is in use and it, and then a different light that indicates when it's just kind of like off the hook. Uh, so 
she's like, we're supposed to be making a wake-up call, like someone needs to physically go up to the room to like wake this guy up, otherwise we're going to get in trouble. So the same bellboy, Randolph Proust, from the day before, who had shown the man to his room, he gets the job of going upstairs and physically waking up the occupants as well as making sure that the phone's put back on the hook. Uh, Proust goes upstairs to find a do not disturb sign on the doorknob. He knocks very loudly before a voice finally responds, telling him to come in. The door's been locked from the inside and he didn't bring a key with him. He kind of knocks loudly again. The voice inside says to turn on the light, but he's like, dude, I can't get in. So he goes back downstairs and he tells Della that he thinks the person in the room is probably drunk and they'll just like give him an hour and then they'll try again. So about 8.30, the phone is still off the hook, so a different bellboy is sent upstairs, this time with a key. The do not disturb sign is still on the door, but the bellboy lets himself in where he finds the man completely naked, passed out on the bed in the dark, and he says he appears drunk. So he just kind of like, it's like, that's super weird, quietly lets himself in, doesn't turn the lights off, just like puts the phone back on the hook and leaves. However, just over two hours later at around 10.30, the same switchboard operator again notes that the phone appears to be sitting engaged or knocked off the hook. So again, a bellboy, this time Proust again, is sent upstairs. The same do not disturb sign is still present. Ignoring it, Proust lets himself in where he finds the man on the floor in the fetal position, his head severely bloodied. There's blood splatter on the floor, bed, walls and ceiling as well as inside the bathroom. Further investigation revealed that much of the blood was dried, leading investigators to eventually think that the blood splatter from the injuries was around six or seven hours old. Hmm. So uh, the bellboy runs back downstairs to get help, and by the time he and another manager get back upstairs, the man's kind of like tried to get up and fallen against the door. Eventually, they're able to get into the room and the man goes into the bathroom. Staff follow him into the room where they're able to properly assess his injuries as well as call the police and a doctor. When they finally get a proper look at him, they find he has cords tied around his neck, wrists and ankles as well as severe bruising around his neck indicating that someone had attempted to strangle him. He's been stabbed multiple times in the chest uh, with one just missing his heart but puncturing one of his lungs. Multiple blows to the head with one skull fracture. When asked who'd done this, he simply responds with nobody and refuses to answer any questions or provide any sort of information on his attacker, simply saying his injuries were from a fall he took against the bathtub. While the police and doctor are questioning him, he loses consciousness before being taken into a hospital, slipping into a coma and then eventually dying just after midnight on January 5th from his injuries. So investigation of the room doesn't really give them much. He only came with like three things. All of the men's clothes, however, including the black black coat, are gone. Police find a hairpin, an unlit cigarette, and on the telephone stand, four small fingerprints, which they speculate from the size, are most likely from a woman, but, you know, it's the 30s. What do they know? It is what it is. Police begin to try and figure out who their murder victim is. It quickly becomes very clear that Roland T. Owen is not a real person and not his real name. A sketch of the victim is published in the newspaper under the heading Do You Recognise This Man? and his body is put on display at a local funeral home. Several people claim to have seen him but all reported different names. Um, They go back to the hotel where he complained about staying the night before saying that they'd have exorbitant prices and the witnesses at that worked at the hotel say that they remembered seeing a man like him but that he checked under a completely different name. 
Police do investigate a woman called Jean Owen who has the same last name and proximity to the murder and, you know, police kind of don't really have anything else to go off so she automatically falls under suspicion but her alibi is fully supported by her boyfriend so she's released. So nothing really comes up. Can't identify who this person is. They have no leads. The man is about to be buried as John Doe in a potter's field when an anonymous donor sends money for a proper funeral. The funeral home receives a call from a man who asks that the funeral be delayed so they can send the funeral home the money for a grave, flowers and a service at Memorial Park Cemetery. The staff at the funeral home ask how the caller knows the man uh, telling him that they'll have to obviously report this call to the police and they ask if the caller knows why the man was killed. According to the caller, the man had had an affair with one woman while engaged to marry another. The caller and the two women had apparently arranged the encounter with him at the hotel in order to exact revenge. Cheaters usually get what's coming to them, the caller says, and hangs up. So the unknown man is laid to rest under the false name Roland T. Owen. A bouquet of roses, also paid for anonymously, is placed on the grave. The card reads, Love Forever Louise. The funeral is finally held with only the priest and police detectives in attendance as pallbearers, while other police pose as grave diggers at the funeral, as well as in the days passing in hope that the mysterious caller or the mysterious Louise will make a visit to the gravesite. Interesting. When news of the mysterious death hits the newspapers and obviously a photo of the man is released, driver Robert Lane comes forward and identifies the body as that of the man that he gave a lift to the other night. Media coverage on the story heats up very quickly and while police receive many leads, nothing comes from it. But then almost within a week of the body being discovered, nothing happens, press gets bored, world moves on. So over a year later... At home, a woman called Roby, Roby, Ruby Ogletree sits at home reading a magazine where she sees an article about a man who was murdered. As she reads the article and sees the photo printed alongside it, she recognises her son, 17-year-old Artemis Ogletree, who's been missing since April 1934. Now, the police have identified the body, but this only really serves to create more questions and intrigue. For instance, Ruby notes that she'd received several letters from her son, after his death, all postmarked from Chicago. She tells police that she remembered thinking it was odd because as far as she knew, her son didn't know how to type and some of the letters that she'd received came from a typewriter. Hmm. She also notes that the tone and language used in all of the letters seemed really unlike any conversations that she'd had with her son previously. The one thing they are able to establish through identifying the man successfully is that Artemis had stayed at another hotel where he shared a room with another man just a few days earlier. So let's talk about some theories. Interesting. So the most prevalent theory that kind of seems to hold the most weight is that Artemis was murdered by a man called Joseph Martin. So Joseph Martin... Uh, came to police attention after murdering another man that he'd shared a hotel room and stuffing his body in a trunk and then attempting to get it freighted to Memphis. Joseph operated under many aliases, one of which was called Donald Kelso, a.k.a. Don. Mm -hmm. It also appears that there were samples of Joseph's handwriting taken as part of the investigation, uh, which appeared to be a match for some of the letters that were sent to Ruby Ogletree. The other kind of most prevalent theory is the involvement of the mob or the mafia. Mafia. Uh, some people note that the there are rumours that the hotel he stayed in 
were kind of a centre for mafia activity as well as liquor smuggling with tunnels under the hotel allowing the mafia to easily transport drugs and alcohol. As well, the, to- the term Don can be a title for a mafia of boss. Of course, yeah. So some people say that he was either involved in mafia business or owed the money or potentially saw something at the hotel that he wasn't supposed to. This theory is also supported by the fact that according to the experts, the injuries that Artemis had sustained were at least six or seven hours old, whereas the second bellboy who had gone into the room only went in about two hours before his body was discovered. So a lot of people don't really buy the whole story that he didn't see because the light was off. I mean, it was 8.30 in the morning, so it's not like it was pitch Pitch black. black. Uh, Many theorized that he potentially walked in to find Artemis being tortured and was like paid off or Mm. just frightened into silence by whoever was torturing Artemis. Another popular theory, given the time period, was that the crime was committed by a jilted lover and that Artemis was involved in a homosexual love affair and that his partner murdered him after fearing discovery from hotel staff or perhaps from another partner involved, keeping in mind that in 1935, being gay was essentially a crime. Yeah. However, to this day, the mystery of room 1046 and the murder of Artemis... Ogletree remains completely unsolved. Fun fact, the hotel is now a Hilton, and while the rooms have been remodeled, going from 45 rooms on one floor to much larger suites, you can technically go and stay in the very room where Artemis Ogletree was brutally tortured and murdered. Wow, I often think about that with hotels where that's happened. I'm like, you could just go to these hotels and stay in a It's a Hilton. Not could you go, you could spend an exorbitant amount of money to stay there. I, I reckon people do as well. They go for like Probably. a little tour and like, oh, this is the exact point where he would have been stabbed. And Yeah, but there's a lot of um, very odd things about this story. Just the fact that, yeah, I don't know if I buy, you wouldn't notice that someone had been like brutally stabbed multiple times. Yeah, so he walked in and he was like naked face down in the bed. Yeah. And then two hours later, they find him. He, same guy finds him. Yeah. On the floor in the fetal position, bleeding with blood that had dried up over several hours. Every, but blood everywhere. Yeah. Like it's on the floor, on the bed, on the walls, on the ceiling. And it, and it had been dried. And it had been dried. So they think that the splatter had was like at least six or seven hours old. Yeah. So homeboys, there's something missing with homeboys. The story there. But then I also think if I worked at a hotel and walked in on someone naked, I would probably also like avert my eyes. Like I'm not going to... Do you know what I mean? You, you think like that, but then... Like, you'd see nudity and be like, oh, you are naked. I yeah, but you would also you. notice the fucking bloodstains... On the wall and the all ceiling, over the, yeah, you'd think Like, so. you'd probably notice that before you would see the dead fucking... I feel the like there'd be a smell as 100%, well. yeah. There's an iron, like, yeah. earthy smell to it. So, I don't I don't necessarily buy that either. You just walk in, you go, oh, someone's naked. And there's a bunch of red shit all over the place, so, but... Uh, I also uh, did read this interesting thing on Reddit... And sometimes I don't like to include things I read on Reddit because, like, literally anyone can post shit and there's no facts to back it up. Allegedly, the kind of, like, I guess, grey moral ethics of the mafia back in the 1930s, like, they had this weird, like, we're the mafia and we'll fucking kill you, but, like, we're weirdly noble. Yeah. So I read this thing that sometimes 
people who were killed by the mafia would often have their funerals paid for by the mafia as like a show of respect yeah. to the victim and to their family. Yeah. Um, so there's that whole thing about how he had his funeral paid for. Very odd, very strange. Yeah. That's why I want to show you the movie Goodfellas because it shows you the, the decline of the Goodfella, the, mm. the, the mafia. Because it is that is a thing. There was a whole idea of respect yeah. between mafia, um, the family, like and you know the different families and different mobsters themselves, and then that steadily decline over the years. And, mm. You know, but yeah, is that is, is the mystery of Room Ten Forty Six. Fantastic. Well, thank you guys very much for joining us for these two cases. If you are just here for the straight facts, no wax. Um, then we'll see, you next week. see you next week. Check us out on socials at the BSC podcast. Yeah. And uh, if you like the ending segments where we just sort of rant on for a bit, just to close off the show, kind of just bring a bit of brightness back into the universe because these are some pretty hard hitting cases, then welcome, welcome. Um, what the fuck Welcome is what the, the fuck the is up? Yeah, the world is like ending. Yeah, so if you are <laughs> not Australian, um, which some of you aren't, uh, we're currently going through like our fi- our fifteenth global crisis. Um, th- it is currently flooding, like everywhere. Like everywhere, the- there is a constant stream of rain that is just unrelenting. Like if you look on your weather app, it's just every single day is 100%, 80%, 70% chance of rain and it is raining every Constantly. day. And it's like bucketing down. Yeah, like it's severe thunderstorms. So like we're okay here in Sydney, although it is apparently meant to get really bad here In the next overnight. few days, yeah. Um, no, tonight, like over tonight. But over the next few really days, bad. it's going to get the worse it's going to be. But up north, so in Queensland and in the northern rivers, it's, it's like really bad. Like people have died. Mm. Um, I think the last news I read, it said that 10 people had died and there's like heaps of people missing because the floodwaters just came up so quickly. Like people just got stuck in their homes and drowned. So people are losing reception, losing Wi-Fi and contact with other people just in general. It's a... Yeah. So for the past two days, I have not known if my parents still had a house I talked to my dad this afternoon and they do. So the house is fine by like half an inch. Uh, All the shit in the garage, however, is ruined. So all of my dad's tools, his like lawnmower, which obviously in in, um, comparative to what other people have lost is nothing. Mm. But it's still... Like an inconvenience, yeah. it's, It's just wild how quickly this has gone downhill yeah like. and, and it's sort of just coming off of the at the same time this whole thing with ukraine and russia as well mm. it's just sort of a really significant again i say it again we're going through a fucking a global historical event event yeah two of them yeah. at the same fucking time yeah it's just it's too like the, the yeah. yeah it's too much like we went from like bushfires to covid to COVID, to, to COVID, f- to COVID, to floods, to this—it's—it's it's like literally, what the fuck is happening, man? Why is this all happening consecutively? It's so fucked up. The world is ending. Like it's crazy. The world is fucking ending. It's how how did we in Australia go from severe bushfires 
to floods in the sp- was it, it's been like less than a year and a half two two years between the two. Mm. How yeah, the fuck? Just over two years. And that throughout that entire time, we've been going through COVID. Yeah, that's what I mean. And I was actually thinking about this this afternoon when I was having my daily existential crisis. When I when COVID started. When the world began to end, mm-hmm. I was 27. Yeah. Tell them how old yeah. you are now. I am tw- well, I'm 29. Turning, they 20, can do the 20, math. 20, yeah. Like it's two years. But I'm turning 30 in like f- three, f- three months. It's just, <laughs> it's just disappearing, guys. It's really kind of terrifying. Like I feel cheated. Like That's I feel, what I was thinking today as well. I feel like... What? Because everyone tells you, like, obviously your teens are kind of fun, but like awkward. And then you leave high school and your early 20s are for like uni and figuring out who you are and learning how to be an adult. Like these like after 25, like 25 to 30 is what everyone has fucking told me is like the golden golden years, like the good years where you've like kind of probably like if you don't have your shit together that's fine but like you at least kind of like you come to terms with it or you figure it out you have a rough idea of like what life is all about and how to get through it and now you're supposed to have fun and i'm like i feel cheated that i've had those years taken from me which obviously like i get first world problems like there's it smacks of privilege like Maybe oh, like, but oh you no, know, like I had the, to sit in my house for three yeah. years. But it's like... But it's not even just like you know, if you can't complain about anything, then like what's, what's the point? Yeah, like, it's my life I'm allowed to complain. Yeah, about. like... I'm not even complaining though. Like the last two years have had some like amazing some things Some fantastic happen. moments, yeah. Like we got engaged, we got Peach, we made some amazing new friends that we I guarantee are going to have for life. Like we started the podcast, started this podcast. We kind of figured out a bit more like what we want to do with our lives. But it's like the small things that I'm like, I was supposed to be out partying for like the last two and a half years. And I feel cheated because I, you can't go back. Like Mm. I can't get those years back. We're just going to have to make up for it every single fucking day. Just party at least 30 minutes a day. To make up for all the lost time. Parties. Yeah. Just like get fucking blind in 30 minutes. Yeah. Dance. And then for the rest of the day, we just regret that we did that. And that's the cycle that we missed out on. We missed out on partying, yeah. drinking, and then regretting the fact that we drank so much. Yeah, true. Because I mean, I am a very firm believer that everything happens for a reason and that you'll look back. I've always been a very firm believer that, you know, in five years time, you look back and you're like, oh, that thing had to happen so that that thing could happen so that that thing could happen. And everything kind of like has a, like you can see it kind of mapped out. And I just kind of feel like since 2020, like nothing, nothing has a reason. Like I just am going to look back and feel like I lost. It's probably not even really just so much that everything has a meaning. It's sort of like there's just something to take away from it. You know what I mean? Like we learned being locked up how much we actually value going out and exploring things and trying new things. Yeah. Like it's not so much you like you, that happened for a reason. So you can then blah, 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 blah. It's like you sort of just get some perspective on your life. 
And that sort of happens with like everything. Like I fucking, with all this brain, like I can't, I usually go for like, you know, two hour long walks. I try and I've been trying to do walks every mm. single day. You can't really walk in this weather. So I like, you know, some perspective, you kind of just like, well, I, I didn't realize how much I actually enjoyed doing that and exercising yeah. and like looking after myself. There's also, it's like sort of just, there's things to take away from it rather than like, you know. Oh, there's like, happened. there's lessons to be learned in everything, but I yeah. do definitely feel a bit cheated. Like yeah. I just feel like, like you don't, you don't get to turn the clock back and get those years back. No. That's what I mean. You just got to make up for it now. Yeah. Anyway, that's my little... Oh, fucking go party. Away, Siri. Go away, hey, Siri. don't... Siri, Siri shut the... We're fucking recording, podcast. bro. Stupid uh, bitch. Yeah, anyway. That's my little sob story. That's your TED talk. That's my TED talk. It's your sad talk. It's my sad talk. Yeah. Does TED stand for something? Yes. No idea what it stands for. It's, it does stand for something, though. Terrific. Why do you ask Siri? Dialogue. Terrific, excellent dialogue. That's what I'm going to say. I don't care what it actually stands for. I like my thing. Anyway, let's talk about something happier. Let's talk about the smutty novel I started this afternoon that was recommended to me by a friend. Technology, entertainment, and design. No, it's terrific, excellent dialogue. Oh, okay. My bad. Anyway, back to my smutty novel. It has... I'm going to go out on a limb. I've read a lot of books. Like, if you don't know me personally, you don't know that I am a book fiend and I am a stupidly fast reader. So I burn through things so quickly. I have never read something so terribly written in my life. But you know what? I don't care because I'm only like 40 pages in and they're already about to fuck. And I'm like, this is what I need. Like, I don't want to wade through like hundreds of pages for them to be like, ooh, he brushed my hand and now we're going to share a chaste kiss. No, I want you to fuck. Like I need escapism. You're like one step removed from like watching actual porn and just being like, I don't need this dialogue. This just gets to the good stuff. Yeah, I would be that person. I would fast forward the, like you don't, you don't watch porn for the plot. The same principle applies. Speak for yourself. (laughs) I'm not reading as a film fairy. Student. Actually, it's not fairies this time. It's vampires. As I'm not reading student. vampire erotica yeah. for the plot because you know it's not going to be good. Look, I watch Anal Explorers 3 for the plot <laughs> and for the cinematography. That thing is graded better than any film I've ever seen in my life. I actually can't tell if you're joking or not. That's the beauty of being me. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Anal Explorer is interesting. <laughs> three. The Anal third. Explorers 3. Yeah. The third coming. Look it up. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh no, we Damn. did that awkward thing. Where we should I see went the for new one. Um, he went for a high five. There's a new one coming out. We should go to the I opening night. I that was terrible. That was terrible. What else can we talk about? I feel like I had lots of things I wanted to talk about. I, I um, there I was someone who mentioned they love our takes on Drag Race. Yes. And look, to be honest, we haven't really been watching. A lot of drag we let race. our stand membership lapse. Yeah. Mainly because we were trying to save dollary dues. And it's also just been a bit of a, a fucking hectic time. Yeah, but I would like to get back into it. Yeah, there's just, it's sort of, um, we watch a lot of like YouTubers and that kind of stuff talk about it because we kind of we nerd out a little bit on it. We like to see other people's perspective mm. on things. And 
there are a lot of those videos where like, is it just getting a bit too much now? Like, is there just too much media to consume? Yeah, it's a lot. Like, there's it's, a lot. I think there's like, there's currently... Because we, we need to f- catch up on the main season. There's UK versus the world. There's also Canada, I think. Yeah, or is that another, together? Yeah, no, there was another season of Canada. Yeah, so I'm, I'm I already... I think the next like, UK season is due to come out soon. They're talking about a down another second down under season. I'm yeah. assuming the next All Stars is coming out soon. I think there's another celebrity. See, I'm sweating there's too much. already just from the anxiety. Like, it's, it's too yeah, much. it's a lot. And like, wh- is that a bad thing or is it a good thing? I don't know. It, it's just like a you little can bit. Definitely get it can be too much because yeah. then you just like well I'm just watching the same because thing. it's nice the idea of having you finish a season and then there's another sort yeah, of season and to get you into kind of have a breather but even if you have like a yeah. little breather like a two week because well, I feel like they did that for a while and it was that, great it was good they had the main of- season and then you get into the UK season and it was like oh this is good you know there's a little bit of month breather. Because I feel like having them simultaneously, and this was especially prevalent for when 13, I think it was, US 13 and UK 3 was mm-hmm. happening at the same, same time. time. Yeah. All it did was highlight how much better the UK season was. Yes. And you watch UK and be like, wow, this is amazing. And then you watch US and you're like, this is dog shit. And like, didn't I'm they, not enjoying this at all. Didn't they do the same thing with season one of UK? Where it was sort of happening at the same time. But that was kind of okay because I feel like every season one is kind of shite. Like, don't yeah, get me wrong. Yeah. I'm actually really looking forward to the second season of Down Under Down purely Under. because I feel yeah. like it's going to be so much better. Um, oh, I just think they did. It's just too that much. Dirty. Like, you just need, you just need like a little breathing room. Yeah. I have been watching, I'm loving British stuff at the moment, though. I have been watching The Great British Bake Oh, Baker, yes. Classic. Yeah. Uh, which is on. Binge. binge. There's so many fucking streaming platforms. You've it's... been watching Euphoria as well. Oh yeah. Oh, I don't want to talk about the season finale. Not good. I'm very triggered. I didn't oh. enjoy it. Wow. If there's any Euphoria watchers, watchers, please feel free to message me. If you liked the season finale, that's fine. Like, no shade. I don't mm. want to hear it though. I only want to hear Euphoria season finale hate. Please in my inbox. The um. I don't know if anyone gives a shit about this, but the prequel series for um, Game, of Game of Thrones is coming out. Yeah, that's coming soon. I'm excited. Are you actually excited for I that? I am excited. I, I don't know. Because it's different directors. Yeah, but it's I'm still kind of like... No, don't ruin it. I'm excited. Okay. Shush. Because recently they've announced they're doing a Lord of the Rings t- a TV show as well. Yeah. And everyone's like, this is... What are you doing? Stop. Yeah. See, I don't know. Stuff like that is a bit... Much. I just kind of, I kind of feel like we're getting to a point where media is just being recycled. Yeah. Well, it's sort of just too like you know, you're a big fan of um, you know, like Harry Potter and the in yes. the Twilight series. Yes. So imagine like you know how you have there's something that you read or there's something that you've consumed in a different form of media for this one franchise, and it's laid out so beautifully and written so well. And you can imagine, and it's just so unique. And then you take away all of that and it's sort of just like, here's a generic version of that. That's kind of what they're doing with Mm. the Lord of the Rings thing where they're just sort of like, there's no it thing that makes you feel the Tolkien thing that makes sense. And it was a similar thing that I felt with Witcher, the Witcher season two. 
they strayed not only storyline wise they st- they strayed really far away from the source material but also in making the season itself the like visually and just the actual show itself it just didn't feel connected to mm. the source material i just think like you look at some of the unique pieces of media that have come out recently like squid games yeah which was last year. You got to pop your fucking pussy, man, to stand out. But like, that's what I mean. It shows that like people will go ape shit over something that is new and unique mm. and well done. Like yeah. they don't need to keep pumping out recycled no, yeah. reboots and revamps and, and how- sequels and prequels. I'm like, can we? How are they not? Yeah. Euphoria. Like yeah. that's people- how fucking unique. Are those shows and, and movies, Squid Game as well, Euphoria, they're fucking so Stranger unique. Stranger Things? Yes. Like, that was a fucking... Like, obviously, the first season of Stranger Things is now going back a few years. But yeah. I just think that's a great example of, like, when you have a really well-done, unique piece of media. Like, people yeah. don't need to see... And you know what? That Recycled pieces of shit. That And Stranger Things is a perfect example because that takes those elements of, like, oh, I used to like this thing... This is cool seeing that because they do a lot of those yeah. Easter eggs and those like inspirations for their show. And that's sort of the way to do it. It's like, don't show me the same thing I've fucking seen already in a different way to yeah. be like, oh, yeah, it's just really cool, right? What else I don't understand though is that like, and correct me if I'm wrong via social media, mm-hmm. my, I can't think off the top of my head a single reboot that has done well. They're all panned. They all flop. Like uh, Ghostbusters redo with like the all-female cast. That was a flop. Everyone hated it. Charlie's Angels reboot with Kristen Stewart. That was a flop. Everyone hated it. Uh, What else? The only one that I've seen actually have commercial success somewhat has been the Jumanji reboot. But see, that's because they did something different. different. They did it very differently. Like yeah. it's a video game and it's not like they're trying to redo what Jumanji ah. was. It's a video game and you get like sucked into the yes. video game and it's funny because they're actually in the game exactly. versus elements of the game coming, coming into real life. That's a very good point. Like, And then you have the flip side of that where you do something different that's too different like Gossip Girl. Oh, let's... So... That was... That's not even like... That was just bad writing. Yeah. That's not like, but, but that's again, like, that's an example of something that's redone that was an absolute yeah, terrible. flop. Yeah, and then I think maybe somewhere in the middle, I don't think it's quite a flop, but it's also not a raging success. Is the How I Met Your Father series, which again is I technically mean, so it's How I Met Your Mother, but it's Hilary Duff as the mother talking about how she meets the father. Right. So it's technically a reboot, but it's kind of like From still a doing something different. Yeah, and it's. It's set in modern days, so you're talking about, like, dating with, like, Tinder and all that stuff. Okay. Like, it's different. Like, yeah. it's, it's the same, but it's, like, you, like, someone's tried to put some effort into making it not just, like, you've copied yeah, the original. Yeah, that's fair enough. Which I just I can appreciate think, that. Like, like... What I like, too, is with Euphoria specifically... I love media where the person who's creating it t- takes from their own lifestyle and their own experiences. Because mm. I believe the director for for uh, Euphoria 
the whole reason there is a whole a lot of storylines of like drug um, abuse and experiences is because he actually went through that himself. That's something that they actually put into their media to be like, this is something that I, you know, I, I actually know about and I've gone through. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I have I have issues with Sam Levinson. Okay. But, uh... <laughs> like personal issues or like, like you no, know him? No, I don't him? know the guy from Bar of Soap. I just right. think he's a terrible writer. Fair enough. And I think a lot of people have noticed that the... And right on cue, the cat's going ballistic in the yeah. background. Uh, I think apparently he had a lot of feuds on set and a lot of the writers from the first season didn't want to come back for the second season. Oh, and interesting. Very apparent because it's just like he writes plot lines and doesn't know what to do with them. Oh, he Michael Bayed them. Yeah. So there's this whole oh. amazing storyline where there's this really cool character called Laurie who don't think was in the first season they introduce her in the second season and she's this like badass drug dealer but the cool thing about her character is like she doesn't have that personality that you so normally associate with drug dealers she's this very like soft-spoken like motherly figure and she talks like this and she's very like never raises a voice and never yells and never gets frazzled yeah and one of the characters spoiler alert by the way if you haven't watched the second season before yeah one of the characters rue is like can't figure out how to get more drugs so she goes to laurie and she was like you give me drugs and i'll sell them to the girls at my school and then she's like and then i can keep a little bit of the drugs for myself so there's this like amazing part, I think it was like in the fourth episode where Laurie, this character, has just given Rue this like big uh, wheelie bag full of pills and Rue's about to leave and she's like, oh, and Rue, by the way, if you fuck me over, I'll sell you to some really fucked up people. Just remember, like there's this really, and it's like, mm. oh, and the way she like delivers the line, like sends chills yeah. down your spine, you're like, oh, okay, what's going to happen? And then of course, Rue loses this suitcase of pills and you're like, oh, Shit. fuck, what's going to... What's going to happen? Nothing. Never gets brought up again. The season oh, just ended and they're like, and yeah. Rue was clean till the end of the school year. And you're like, what about the scary drug lady that yeah, told her she was going to sell her to to sex traffickers? Just Did we just forget about yeah. that? She's just been like, cool, 40K worth of drugs. No worries, Rue. Like, that's, that's really bad. It's really bad. That's like a big plot line to just sort of forget about. And then, like, in the... So, that was, like, issue number one. And then at the end, like, Nate, who's this other character, like, they have this scene where he's going to confront his dad and they do this whole big thing of, like, he's sitting in the car, like, loading bullets into a gun and you're like, oh, shit, he's going to shoot his dad. And then he confronts his dad and, like, has the gun. But th then he's called the cops and the cops show up and arrest his dad and you're like, cool, why the fuck did you make a big deal out of showing him... Loading a gun yeah. if he was never going to do anything with it. Cool. What just There's happened? A, it's very yeah. odd. That's a, that's really annoying. There's and so just, many laws of, of cinema that he's breaking by doing that. And people on like TikTok, I've been watching TikTok comments, like people are having arguments being like, yeah, well, that's what a season three is for. And I'm like, no, well, no, no, no. There is a difference. There is a big difference between... A plot cliffhanger mm -hmm. and a plot hole. Yes. So, for example, the whole Laurie Rue thing. So, the end of 
the episode, literally the end, is like Rue's walking out and it's her voiceover because she's the narrator of the series. And it's her voiceover talking about how she's stayed clean for the rest of the year and she's kind of like reminiscing on her relationship with another character. Like, I'm not a writer, but I feel like that would be the perfect opportunity to like you as a viewer are like, oh, like it's happy ending. Cool. Like that's a bit weird, not expected. Like at the end, just right at the end, as you think it's about to end, Rue gets a phone call. It's an unknown number. She answers it and it's Laurie being like, hi, Rue, did you think I'd forgotten about you? And mm, that's where that. That's it. Yeah. Can you imagine? I would be champing at the bit to watch the next season and find out what's going to happen. Instead, yeah. I'm just like, I don't. Or even really care. just like a scene where there's like that character goes into a, their home or something, and that the drug dealer's waiting in a car, and it's just like just one second anything, of just something. Because everyone's being like, "Oh, well, that's what they're gonna do in season three. I'm like, "Are they though?" Because yeah. literally nothing know. in the season finale has led me to believe it's an unresolved issue that's going to be looked at in the next season. It yeah. just seems like a plot point that they completely forgot about. Exactly. Like imagine if they'd had the shot of like Nate loading up the gun and putting the bullets in and then he'd gone to confront his dad and he like puts the, like raises the gun and points it at his dad and then in the background you can see the police light so you yeah. know the police are there and then the scene cuts so you're like, oh shit, like mm. is Cal going to get arrested? Is Nate going to shoot him? Like what the fuck's going to happen? Like... Bro, I'm not yeah. even a writer and I just wrote that season finale better than you did. Sorry, that was a real big rant about Euphoria, but I'm really angry about it. So if you don't watch Euphoria, I'm really sorry. That was probably super boring, but I'm just really, really mad. It is what it is. Just do better, Hollywood. Sam Levinson literally was like that scene from Euphoria where all the writers are like, put your pants back on. It's like, I am who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I am who I am. Bro, why, why did you have to ruin such a good thing? Anyway. Yeah. That is my euphoria rant. I will stop now. Well, that's like in you where um, I can't remember the character's name is, but you were over season two of you and spoiler warning as well. Love. No, no. Um, the person who owns the apartment complex that he rents. Um, oh, Delilah. Whoever, Delilah passes away and then her younger sister, he, he sets up this thing where he's like yeah, he's helping, paying, paying her to sort of set her up for her life. And then at the end of season two, it's sort of like mentioned, like, hey, like he's doing that. And he gets letters mm. from her. So it confirms that this is still happening. And then third season, they're, they're like, like, he is what's going on with that. But they also like only mentioned it like once. And then you're like, yes. Did you just but, forget about? But imagine if they just didn't. That, and like season two, they just sort of like, she goes to wherever she goes to. Yeah. And then it's, there's no like, Joe doesn't say like, I've been sending her money. There's nothing. Just sort of ends. And then season three happens and you're like, okay, so what the fuck happened to her? Yeah. You're still left with that thing. But they touched on it. So you think, okay, there's a possibility for yeah. a storyline in the beginning in the later later seasons. There's none of that with what you just said. There's none it's of that. Like, like, it, literally, it literally feels like the writers just yeah. wrote plots and then forgot about that. But you know what? I bet you season three will come past and they'll be like, so what the fuck did we like forget about season two? They'll be like, oh yeah, there was all this stuff. And you're like, oh shit. All right, well let's um episode three, wrap that the fuck up. Mm. And then and then, then the people will come out and be like, people will be like, oh my God, that was fucking brilliant how they did that. They went from season two to season three seamlessly. Yeah. 
Which, you know, maybe they will. Maybe Sam Levinson has a grand plan, maybe he has but a plan. it just really doesn't seem like he does. Maybe he intentionally did such a bad job, so you like think he did a great job the third season. Maybe, but he... Maybe he's the edging. The first season was fantastic. So Maybe he's edging everybody. I don't know if that works with or TV shows. I think that just means pe- less people will watch season he's three. He's negging himself. He's negging. He's doing a very good job. Yeah. This is like the most I've talked in a very long time and my throat is sore. Don't nice. make that weird face. Why would you make that weird face? What? I don't make see, a face. See, this is why we couldn't ever record. This is what the people want to see. It would just... Also, we're both in our pajamas at this the is what the pe- Again, this is what the people want to we're see. We're both in our pajamas. Yes. We're just making weird faces at each other. We're not even... With the way our chairs are situated, we're not even looking at each other. I have to physically like turn my head to the side to even see Tama. Yeah. I think before we get to the point where we visualize the podcast, we need to have like a proper... Better setup. Setup. Yeah. And, you know... That'll be that. We shall see, though. We yeah. like to give the people what they want. Exactly. So if that's what you guys want, we will try our best to deliver. And we'll fucking deliver. do it. Just wait and see. We'll do it. What's our code word for the week, Tama? I am who I am. Okay. We won't get, like, copyright of that, will we? I don't know how copyright works. What? I don't know. I don't know things Copyright things. for What? For a fucking sentence? Yeah? No. Okay. No, we will not get copywritten for that. Don't look at me like I'm dumb. I don't know about these things. If we sold an iced mocha drink and caught an iced frappuccino, then we would get copyright from Starbucks. Would we? Yes. Does Starbucks own frappuccino? I think they own frappuccino or they own mocha frappuccino. Orange mocha frappuccino. So, no, we won't get copywritten for that. Okay, I but am just who I am. Ease, that's the- if you want to have something else to ease your mind, that's perfectly fine. No, that's fine. Okay. I am who I am. I am who I am. And do the little... Put the gif in there. If other, Yeah, if there's a euphoria gif, send it. Yeah. Put a gif in there. If you know, you know. If I'm really sorry if you don't watch Euphoria and you just had to listen to me. Look, just fucking like watch it. Minutes. What else are you gonna fucking yeah. do with your life? You know what I mean? Anyway, just fucking, <laughs> just, just watch fucking it. Do it. Just do it. We've reached that point where we're getting delirious. So yeah. let's wrap this shit up. Thank you for listening to another week of Best Served Cold, the true yep. crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Uh, Where can they find us? You can find us on all things social media. Twitter, Facebook, Bam. Instagram, yeah. TikTok, yeah. YouTube. Bam. At the uh, BSC podcast. Yeah. Uh, New episodes every Wednesday, Wednesday, Australian, Sydney time, whatever the fucking, was that Pacific Standard? Australian Eastern Standard Time, yeah. Yeah. If you haven't left us a review, we would love it if you did on Apple. And I also believe you can leave reviews on Spotify now. Can Um, you? Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, I think it's like a slow rollout, so I don't know if it's in every country, but I know I read something that you could leave reviews on Spotify. Hectic. So if you can leave us a review, uh, people like podcasters don't just ask for this. Because it's the nice thing to do. Because it's like... No, but it genuinely helps. Like when you get a bunch of really good reviews, you yeah. get like pushed up the charts and, you know, Apple or Spotify will see that it's a popular show and start pushing it out for promo. And, you know, we want to like 
grow yeah, the show it, it, and maybe make and some money off it this year so we can yeah, get and, jobs. and dealing with like distributors and sponsorships and that kind of stuff, it all helps. It genuinely helps. It so literally we don't just say it to be narcissists. Yeah. Um, if you can leave us a review if you haven't already, we would very much appreciate it. Apart from that, we will see you next week. Yeah, I'll give you a very special send off with Pi because he's sitting right next to me. Is it gonna work? Oh, you just. Oh. Say goodbye, Pi. He's just staring at the microphone. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.